1: This is a crowd podcast.
2: We didn't start the fire. The only podcast started by me, Billy Joel.
1: Buddy Holly, Ben Hur, Space Monkey, Mafia, Hula Hoop, Castro, Edsel is a, a no go. You Two, Singman, Ring, Paola, and Kennedy, Chubby Checker.
3: Let's do the twist, Katie.
1: Check that checker checker. Hello
3: and welcome to episode 79 of We Didn't Start the Fire, the podcast that explores post-war history and all the reasons why the world is like it is today, all done through the lyrics of a number one smash hit from the legend that is... Billy Joel. I am Tom Fordyce.
1: I'm Katie Puckrick.
3: Katie, are we ready for the next installment in our beautiful adventure?
1: Oh, I have been lubing up my waist. I've been enjoying the waist whittling sensation (laughs) that is a dance style called The Twist because today's episode is about the musician Chubby Checker.
3: Casey, your first exposure, please, to Checker and his works.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was probably about 12 years old. I was in elementary school uh, in Virginia. And the teacher thought, here's a bunch of jumping beans. We need to get them all calmed down and get them settled. And what better way to do it than to plunge into a little bit of physical exercise? And so what she did was she put on the platter that mattered, which was Chubby Checker's Limbo Rock. Oh, yeah, so he's famous for The Twist. But then Limbo Rock came on. It's a very catchy song, kind of a Calypso thing. Jack be limbo, Jack the quick. Jack go under limbo stick. And so Jack did go under limbo stick. All very exciting. How about you? Any chubby... Related activities in your youth? (laughs) So for me,
3: it was a reissue of his biggest hit, Let's Do The Twist, which was done with The Fat Boys. Came out in 1988 when I would have been 13 or 14, 13. And it was uh, definitely a top 10 hit because it came on the compilation I got that Christmas for my birthday, which was Now That's What I Call Music 7. Now That's What I Call Music, Katie, Don't Look At Me Blank Face, was an extremely (laughs) (laughs)
1: long-running
3: music compilation. I got it on a double cassette so it was it's a bit of a butchery of a version the fat boys are like a sort of overweight poor man's Beastie Boys rip-off. So they do loads of really, really bad rapping over Chubby sort of manfully cracks on and the video is quite amusing, but it's not a patch on the original.
1: Not a patch on the original. So we are patching together, speaking about patchwork, uh, our vague memories and they are distant and they are unreliable and we need to bring the visceral reality to you. So we're going to do so with an expert. He is Jack McCarthy. He is a Philadelphia-based music historian an archivist who has written extensively on Philadelphia music history. Welcome, Jack.
2: Hi, nice to be here.
1: Oh, so glad you're here. So we are going to talk all about Chubby Checker, how he got to what he was doing and beyond. But let's zero right in on how Mr. Checker burst onto the scene. He recorded a cover of The Twist and what kind of impact did his recording of the twist make on America?
2: Oh, it had a huge impact, not just in America, but but all over the world. I mean, the twist became a sensation, and a lot of these dances, you know, were pretty much confined to the teenage population, but the twist sort of transformed itself into the upper echelons of society and so all of the high society in New York began to go to these twist clubs and <laughs> so it became an intergenerational thing not just young people but uh, older people as well and you know it continues to reverberate I mean I, I played in a, in a wedding band for many years and you know the twist was just a staple of our repertoire and, and it still is today if you go to a, a wedding or an event you know the twist is always played and all generations get up and and do it. So it's it's really endured, uh, and it came out of Philadelphia, you know, in 1960. Of course, it has a a longer history and a tangled history. Uh, the Philadelphia version was a cover, as you mentioned, but the history of the song goes back further and actually deep into the gospel community. So it's a it's kind of a tangled tale and and fascinating as well as how it how it came to be recorded by Chubby Checker in in 1960.
1: So we're going to get into all that. But before we go too much further, um, I know this is kind of a goofy question, but... Can you describe the dance that is the twist? What do you do? How do you twist?
2: <laughs> I'll describe it the way Chubby Checker described it. How's that? Uh, it's like you got out of the shower and you're wiping your butt with a towel. You're holding the towel in either hand and swiveling your hips. And Essentially, uh, you, you sort of stay in one place and and swivel your feet and hips and then move your upper body in various suggestive ways. But the interesting thing is, it is the dance that initiated the whole practice of of couples not dancing. Touching. Ah, yeah. You know, prior to that, you know, the, the Jitterbug and the Lindy Hop and all these other dances, it was couples, you know, in touching. I mean, there were other dances where uh, people danced apart, including line dances. Uh, you know, everybody was in a formation. But as far as couples dancing together but not touching, the twist was really the sort of sensation that ushered in that, that whole practice, which later became kind of standard
3: okay and if this makes sense jack what comes first the song the twist or the dance the twist so does the song the twist reflect an existing dance that's going on or does it launch the dance
2: that's a bit of the mystery in the tangled tale there are these Reports and uh, as with many of these dances, they originate in the African American community before they become, you know, widespread in the general population. But there are reports of of African American dances that, uh, and going back to even the 19th century, that were, you know, kind of sensuous and suggestive, with swiveling your hips in a in a provocative way. And it appears that that kind of dancing has always been there. It basically took this song to bring it into the general population.
3: Okay, and cover versions are always fascinating things, aren't they, particularly when they work better than the original. So the original is written and performed by Hank Ballard and The Midnighters. When I listen to his version and I listen to Chubby Checkers, my brain jack is trying to tell me why Chubby Checkers becomes a massive hit and why hanks doesn't
2: yeah and and the song actually you know goes back further and so there were these references to the twist and let's do the twist and throughout history and then and then the, the melody itself actually traces way back to gospel some gospel groups were using it and a group called the sensational nightingales began formulating this song called the twist but they were a gospel group and they were Uh, their music was sacred music, and they felt that this song was not appropriate for, you know, for their repertoire. So they offered it, they began offering it around, and um, Hank Ballard and his guitarist, Cal Green, took the song from these members of the gospel group, and then they refashioned it. It becomes a a bit of a hit, a minor hit, and it's kind of climbing the charts, and then the sort of music moguls in Philadelphia decide that they need a more sanitized version Ah. to appeal to the broad audience. Uh, But essentially, Hank Ballard was known for risque songs with very suggestive lyrics. And so he was just not safe enough of an artist to promote to the white general population too
3: much hanky panky
2: (laughs) so anyway the the music moguls in philadelphia who were had been very successful putting out these teeny bopper dance songs decided that they needed a a slightly more sanitized version or a more acceptable artist to present this song. So they chose this 19-year-old guy from South Philadelphia. He he was African American, but he's light-skinned and a little pudgy and very wholesome and very safe-looking and kind of an adorable guy. And so they chose him to record the song and with Dick Clark and American Bandstand as the sort of the for disseminating it, it becomes a huge hit.
1: Chubby Checker is this um, cut up at school. He's a great mimic. And I understand that he's carrying his class clown tendencies into his after school jobs. Is that right?
2: Apparently, he would sing and make jokes and do imitations while he was plucking Chickens. (laughs) The owner of the store, which was in South Philadelphia, was also kind of a wannabe music manager and knew the uh, folks at Cameo Parkway Records. So the owner, Henry Colt, his name was, he had an Italian name, but he Americanized it to Colt. Basically, uh, promoted Chubby Checker to the, this uh, record company, saying, "I got this guy. He's really good. He's really funny. He's very personable. He can sing." So then they hired him to do this greeting for Dick Clark, and then they hired him to, you know, record a couple of songs. And let's talk for a minute about Dick Clark, because you got hes a major figure in all this. So Dick Clark um, was a radio announcer in Philadelphia. Uh, And there was this show called Bandstand, uh, which was a local... TV dance program targeted to teens. It was a teen music and dance program. And it started in the early 50s. And then the original host was fired in a scandal. And so they chose Dick Clark to replace him. Dick Clark was this young, personable, you know, good looking um, announcer. So Dick Clark replaced the original host in 1956, and then in 1957, he takes the show national. So now it's broadcast daily from Philadelphia. And it becomes enormously successful and influential. Every teenager in the country basically was watching this show. And so Dick Clark wielded tremendous power in the pop music industry because if you appeared on on American Bandstand as a recording artist, basically, you know, the next day your record was shooting up the charts. So, uh, and Dick Clark was very tight, very close relationships with these local. Uh, record company owners. There were a number of local uh, record companies in Philadelphia, what, what are called independents, and also had business uh, interests, financial interests in, in some of these companies. So it became like this symbiotic relationship where these local record companies would have their artists appear on American Bandstand and the artists become stars and, and everybody benefits. And so in that period, Philadelphia becomes a pop music powerhouse, mainly because of of, of American Bandstand.
3: This is an advertisement from Help Therapy Online. Hello Fire listeners, it's Tom here. I hope you're enjoying the series. I wanted to tell you about Better Help. We all carry around different stresses in life, big and small. A lot of the people we talk about in this series definitely did. And as we know, if we keep those stresses bottled up, it can impact us negatively. That's where therapy can be great. Therapy isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. It can help you understand the way that your brain works and why you feel a particular way. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. FIRE listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com WDSTF as in, we didn't start the FIRE. So, that is betterhelp.com slash wdstf. Eat stress-free this spring with Factors delicious ready-to-eat meals. Always fresh and never frozen, each meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. I eat flexitarian, so with a weekly menu of 35 options, there's plenty for me to choose from. So, last night, I had the Moroccan-style almond-crusted salmon, and it was absolutely delicious. These are no-fuss, no-mess meals. Factor eliminates the hassle of prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Simply heat and savour the good stuff. With over 60 add-ons like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and smoothies, there's plenty of options to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. Plus, you can customize your weekly meals and pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com WDSTF50 and use the code WDSTF50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code WDSTF50 at factomeals.com slash WDSTF50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active.
1: So let's talk about Chubby Checker. Of course, that's not his real name. Let's Let's get into his background. Who is he?
2: Well, his real name is Ernest Evans, and he came to Philadelphia as a 10 year old uh, living in South Philadelphia, which had this incredibly rich musical tradition, both uh, African-American and Italian and all these great stars came out of South Philadelphia. So he, he was he was in this very kind of rich musical culture. And he was given the moniker Chubby Checker by Dick Clark's wife, Dick Clark asked Cameo Parkway to record a holiday greeting that he wanted to send out to his clients and associates around Christmas time. And they wanted this holiday greeting to be somebody doing imitations of of famous singers. And so they hired Chubby Checker. He was very good at at mimicking. And so he was mimicking Fats Domino, singing I think White Christmas or something like that. And Dick Clark and his wife were there and Dick Clark's wife said, a Fats Domino, your Chubby Checker, like Fats uh-huh. Chubby Domino Checkers. So uh, it was because he was imitating Fats Domino and he was right. slightly pudgy that she gave him the name Chubby Checker, and that became the name that he was known by. So he records that song, everybody likes it. He records a few other songs for Cameo Parkway. And then in 1960, uh, this song, The Twist by Hank Ballard and the Midnighters is rising up the charts, but Dick Clark thinks Hank Ballard is just too suggestive and and dangerous a character for the mass audience. So they want a a cleaner, more acceptable version. So they give it to Chubby Checker and he records it uh, the summer of 1960. And then Dick Clark begins playing it the record on his tv show and then he uh has chubby checker appear on his show and then the song just you know goes flying up the charts hank ballard's version falls off the charts and chubby checker's version becomes a massive hit and what is it about his version
3: that propels it to the top quite apart from all the stuff that goes on around it when we listen to that song now is it bigger is it beefier Are the horns stronger what is it musically jack That makes it stand out
2: it's essentially a note for note copy of the hank ballard version they change the rhythm slightly but other than that it's 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 a carbon copy the thing that propels it is dick clark and american bandstand this humongous you know outlet that every kid in the country is tuning into so it was really that i don't think the chubby checkers version is in any way significantly different were characteristic from the other versions, it's just that it was promoted so heavily in
1: I can see. uh, So the way you're telling the story is that Dick Clark and the record company, like everybody wants a piece of Chubby. They're like, he is the vehicle that is going to make everybody's dreams come true. And we're going to start making some cash money. But what was Chubby Checker's perspective? Like, was did he have a drive to be famous? Did he have an idea about the musical genre that he wanted to explore? Or did he just want to get the hell out of uh, chicken plucking?
2: (laughs) I do know that you know he was very ambitious, and he and he he loved to entertain. He was a a natural sort of ham. Dick Clark called him, you know, a, a ham, but a, in a good way. And I guess anybody would want to get another job from plucking chickens. <laughs> but so, uh, but he was very amenable to. I mean they they gave him after the twist they gave him all kinds of follow-up songs and a lot of really corny dreck and apparently he was very amenable to you know give, recording whatever they gave him to capitalize on the on his popularity
3: it is such a massive smash this song jack so by 1965 five years after it's released it sold 15 million copies can you put that into context for us for in terms of other
2: huge songs of the time Ooh. A Million Seller is, is it's just a huge hit, so something that sells 15 million. But the really interesting thing about the twist and, and Chubby Checker's version in particular is it, it was number one two different times in 1960, and then it fell off the charts. You know, it just went through a regular cycle. And then it comes back in late 1961 into early 1962, and it hits number one again. Uh, no song has ever done that still. Uh, except for holiday songs like White Christmas or something. that They'll come back on the charts, you know, during the holiday. But no other non-holiday song has ever been number one uh, on two different occasions. So it's just, it's really unique um, in that regard.
3: Okay, and who is making the money out of these 15 million
2: sales? Well, uh, that's an interesting thing. So the original twist, you know, the Hank Ballard version was recorded for a company called King Records in Cincinnati, owned by a guy named Sid Nathan. And he was really important in the R&B world. You know, James Brown did early recordings for him. So he was recording a lot of Black artists and, and, you know, helping uh, further the careers of a lot of these R&B singers. And he always took the publishing rights to any song that uh, was recorded, no matter who wrote it. Right. Uh, And this was a a practice widespread throughout the recording industry. I mean, it was very unfair, very predatory by today's standards. But it was, you know, the way business was conducted in those days. So apparently the Cameo Parkway owner uh, named Bernie Lowe, uh, Bernard Lowenstein, but everybody called him Bernie Lowe, made a licensing agreement with Sid Nathan to record their own version of the song. I don't know what that licensing version entailed and, you know, whether it was uh, the the publishing and the performance rights, but somewhere between Sid Nathan and Bernie Lowe is where all the money was made. Mm.
1: So, Jack, I'm thinking about uh, Chubby Checker making The Twist popular, and then he followed that up with Let's Twist Again, and then there was Limbo Rock, and then there was The Fly. Can you help us understand the whole big craze for instructional dance songs in the early days of rock and roll was it a case of just like there's this crazy music and we need to instruct the audience how to interact with it
2: yeah i mean that that was definitely a trend and philadelphia was at the forefront of that you know all these dances the watusi and the bristol stomp and the pony yeah yeah i mean these were all um well not all of them had instructional lyrics but the philadelphia was known for these teeny bopper dance hits that was the their sort of bread and butter uh, the cameo parkway and these other labels that were in philadelphia and i think that when something became successful they just inundated <laughs> the market with more of it you know with the artistic merit really was not all that important to these you know record label owners it was uh let's see what sells you know the fact
3: that he does Let's Twist again, it feels like pop is eating itself right at the very beginning. Pop has barely begun and it's already becoming self-referential.
2: Yeah, well, I think that speaks to the point I just made. The people that were making the decisions on what to record and you know who to record it, they were driven by profit. And if there was going to be a market for a follow-up song or a spin-off song, then they were going to do it. And Cameo Parkway was kind of notorious for that, and, and Chubby Checker in particular was asked to do. You know, there was Slow Twistin' that he did with D.D. Sharp, who was another cameo Parkway recording artist. She got very famous with the mashed potato. Okay. There was Let's Twist Again. There was another hit with Bobby Rydell, Teach Me How to Twist. And Bobby Rydell was another cameo Parkway artist who had a lot of big hits at that time. So it was, you know, I think a business decision. Let's see what sells. Let's see what generates profits.
3: Katie, I'm a big fan of the foreign language versions that were recorded oh, okay. to capitalise further. So Let's Twist again it goes to number eight in the US Billboard charts. It goes to number two in the UK. In Germany, it's a massive hit under the title The Twist beginnt." Oh, yeah. Ja Jawohl. OK. And in Italy, it is Balea Mobile Twist.
1: Ah, a dancer.
3: And in France, Johnny Hallyday, of course, who else, covers it, and his version is called Viens Danser le Twist.
1: Oh, a la go-go. <laughs> so I understand, Jack, that uh, in whatever language you twist in, Chubby began to be quite frustrated with being hemmed in with his dance hit successes because... You know, he's a great singer and he looks good. So was he kind of uh, champing at the bit to do more beyond just instructional dance songs?
2: <laughs> he has long felt that he hasn't gotten the recognition he deserves artistically. For instance, he's he had a campaign to get inducted into the rock and roll Hall of Fame, which uh, you know they rebuff him all the time. Aww. He basically contends that you know I sang the song that changed the world, and it's true. But he basically just did a kind of a note-for-note cover of somebody else's song, and he didn't really produce anything of artistic merit.
1: But I will say Jack that Billy Joel elected to highlight Chubby Checker and not Hank Ballard. So, you know, Billy would back him up.
2: Well, Billy Joel, you know, that that song is is just a list of all the sort of important people and events in that time period and and there's no question that Chubby Checker was a phenomenon whether he was deserved of artistic recognition uh, is a different story. I mean, he was certainly hugely commercially successful. Right? Um, Did he really make a huge contribution to the art of music or pop music? Um, People would disagree. And then that whole Philadelphia scene that he came out of, which, uh, again, from the late 50s to the early 60s, was producing hit after hit after hit. You know, it is not very well regarded by music historians. It's considered a lot of sort of, you know, commercial, formulaic teeny bopper. I
1: I would like to um, take those critics to task, though, Jack, because it's interesting that music, which really has stood the test of time, including the twist that appeals to teeny boppers, often gets Brushed under the carpet. It's interesting that, you know, the Beatles were seen as a, you know, silly, girly group that only little girls liked until they, you know, until enough young men got on board when the Beatles got psychedelic. And then somehow they were seen as having the gravitas. So I'm a big proponent and advocate of teeny bopper music despite the critics?
2: Well, there's no question that it's infectious and fun and, and you know, it sort of brings a joy uh, and a dancing mentality. And that that's not unimportant, but is it artistically uh, meritorious? Um, I don't know.
3: It seems a little bit, Jack, like much as Chubby is delighted to have such a huge hit, he feels at times that it maybe wrongly defines his sound. And there is an album that Katie and I have been listening to which, Katie, how would you describe it? It's an extraordinary offering. It's from the early 70s, and it's chubby meets psychedelia.
1: Yeah, it's called Checkered with an exclamation point, so already (laughs) it's exciting. It's completely self-penned, so he's decided he's nobody's puppet, and he's totally embracing the psychedelic rock sound and a total standout track from the album is called Stoned in the Bathroom, (laughs) and Tom and I were both listening to it. It's totally enjoyable. It's woozy. It's weird. His singing is fantastic, but I have to say the writing is a little pastiche. It's a little color by numbers psychedelia, but it does seem like picking up on Tom's point that, you know, he tried earlier around 1964, he came up with a folk album, So I guess he detected which way the wind was blowing, and he knew that the kitschy pop slop of the early Philadelphia sound perhaps is becoming passé. So he's trying to capitalize on whatever was coming up that was new, but it seemed like he could never get a toehold, could he?
2: I mean, I've been researching Philadelphia music for years. I didn't know about this album. So, (laughs) uh, So I'm sure the general populace here in Philadelphia doesn't know it either, and in their mind... You know, it's Chubby Checker and The Twist and those other songs, The Pony and The Fly, you know, he had a number of dance hits. The the Twist was the biggest. But that's his pigeonhole. And I don't think anybody is going to consider him more broadly. Right. Rightly or wrongly.
1: I wonder, Jack, if his skill as a mimic, which is how he even came to the attention of Dick Clark and the record company. I wonder if his mimicry meant that he never developed a distinctive voice of his own.
2: That could be. I mean, you know, again, he was just covering a a lot of songs and he was given these songs by, you know, the producers and the record label owners and hey, do this, do that. So I don't think he was given the material that would allow him to develop as an artist early on. Uh, I don't think, you know, that was the focus of those record companies. They, they were just trying to sell records. And I don't think they considered like, well, let's uh, develop this artist artistically.
1: So Billy Joel has a lot of icons in his song, We Didn't Start the Fire. There's heroes. There are very many villains. Why do you think chubby checker made the cut why is he so culturally significant
2: well for me and you know i can't speak for billy joel but to me he more than any one person represents that whole teeny bopper dance movement of which philadelphia was you know the, the the major center it was a phenomenon and it cut across several generations and, and classes too, from you know from the working class to the uh, social elite. And so it was such a phenomenon, but it also represented a, a kind of a, a period in music history and pop music history of this teeny bopper dance oriented kind of music. And to me, just saying chubby checker kind of encapsulates that whole period and style and sound that youth-based kind of dance movement. It's Chubby Checker himself, but it's also the broader culture that he represents from that time.
3: Jack, thanks so much for joining us. It's been wonderful learning more about Mr Chubby Checker.
1: Thanks, Jack.
2: (laughs) and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories
4: by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favourite listening app, October 31st.
3: Katie, I think there's a way you can tell if a particular dance move cuts the mustard, and that's if it appears in one of those songs that lists all the dance moves. Yeah. You know, like, um, do you love me?
1: Do you love me? You
3: can do the twist.
1: You can do the twist.
3: And then Land of a Thousand Dances, Wilson Pickett. The listy songs.
1: What about Rock Lobster, though? I don't even, the B-52s rock, I don't know if they talk about it. They talk about other critters in there. Uh, Speaking of critters, though, um, (laughs) we didn't cover this with Jack, but um, there was a penis-oriented lawsuit. Oh, really? Yes, uh, to do with Chubby Checker, because a very enterprising uh, internet group came up with an app called Chubby Checker. Uh, And the idea was uh, you could estimate penis size based on shoe size. Uh, Any shoe size could be American, European... British, and it was, get it, the Chubby Checker. So right. Chubby sued for, I don't know, millions of dollars, and uh, I think it they just went out of business with a cease and desist order.
3: So if you are thinking about uh, putting together a penis size estimator on the App Store, do not call it the Chubby Checker.
1: No, because he's going to come after you hammer and tongs. I do like the idea of Chubby and I do feel his frustration that he was trapped in his excellence because he was so good. People didn't want to see him doing anything else. They just wanted to see him teach us dances.
3: I wonder how many times he's had to sing the twist.
1: Oh, you know what? I bet he is very spelt after a lifetime of <laughs> twisting. He doesn't have one of those old man beer bellies blooping over his belt buckle.
3: Either that or he's got two artificial hips. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so if you want another crowd podcast to listen to, you can have a listen to Death of a Rock Star. It's narrative storytelling at its most immersive. It's the stories of stars we lost too soon, the ones who rocked our stages and shook our stereos.
3: Yeah, there are episodes about artists like Billy Holiday, about Elvis Presley and Marvin Gaye. Katie, I'm slightly biased. Yes. I wrote these, but I
1: think it's quite good. Oh, you would say that. So if you'd like to give it a listen, just search for Death of a Rockstar wherever you get your podcasts.
3: And if you would like more of Fire, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Spread That Fire.
1: And next week we have, why don't you sing the theme for this movie we'll be talking about. <coughs> <laughs> Psycho
4: <laughs>
1: Crowd Network,
3: a place where you belong.
5: Hello, everyone.